Hey guys, is this, is this on? Yeah. Hey, thanks everyone. That was nice. It's been a while. It's been a minute since I've been here in the evening. I'm usually in the morning. Like Joel said, my name is Raf. Um, I've been a part of the Christchurch community for about eight years now, so I've been around for a little while. Um, I live down the road in Bow with my wife, Emmy. We have a cute little boy called Noah. He's a star. He's going to be. I'll make sure. Um, no, so it's, we really love being a part of this community. It's really great to be here um, with you this evening as well, because I'm not usually at the evening, so it's nice to be uh, with the vibes, with the lights. So, all good. Um, so three years ago, pre-pandemic, um, I preached on Easter Sunday on the Sermon of Hope. There I am. It was a time where you could wear shorts to church, which feels like a million miles, a million miles, a million years ago, particularly in this building. But um, <laughs> I, um, I preached on hope because at the time it felt that life felt really hard. Not just kind of like for you know, myself personally, but also in a, in a global sense. I talked about how things like climate change and systemic injustice and the disappointment in our politics system could really sort of eat away at our hope. This kind of sense that all wasn't as it should be. Even on a personal level, this kind of, um, these ideas about kind of not feeling secure about ourselves or having anxiety or not being secure job or housing-wise could again continue to just really eat away at us, to really eat away um, at the hope within us. As the Proverbs say, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it felt that we were all kind of feeling a little heart sick at the time. That all was not as it should be, both sort of out there, but also in here as well. Now, this was three years ago. It's a long time. And think about all that has happened since then, including, you know, the year that shall not be named. And, you know, I think sometimes, at least for myself, I sometimes still feel a little heart sick that all is still not as it should be. The older I get, two things kind of become increasingly apparent, and that is one, that um, life is hard, and that hardship seems to be an unavoidable part of life. And the second thing is that there is always a need for hope. Struggle and difficulty, particularly when it's kind of as a result of our faith or our identity as followers of Jesus, or living in a way that is countercultural. It can cause our faith to, and joy to wither, to dissipate. It can cause our resilience, our convictions to kind of just dissolve, to disappear until our lives don't look very distinctive, to, until our lives don't look very different to those around us. I, um, I recently read an article in the Financial Times about this phenomenon of treat brain. Has anyone heard of it? Treat brain. So it's this idea that since the pandemic, our, our brains have been kind of rewired um, as kind of our collective grief has meant that many of us have found ourselves indulging just a little bit more, you know, treat yourself. You know, who says that I say that a lot every day? Do uh, you know what, actually, there was, has anyone seen that meme that was like, treat yourself? It was like, um, says me who has, if anything, never denied themselves anything. <laughs> uh, when that came up, I was like, oh, that's me. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so whether that be opting for um, the nicer biscuits or the nicer wine, treating yourself to some exercise gear, um, some cute loungewear, if that's more your vibe, um, or even just watching more TV or Netflix. One commenter on the article said that for kind of, you know, a one-hour Zoom call, she would reward herself with three hours of Netflix, which feels like a fair trade, you know, especially if you've been on a Zoom call with Joel over there. So, you know, you need, you need some time to, you know, come down. Anyway, 
Um, see, that's how you get the last in here. You just make fun of Joel. Sorry. Cheap digs. Um, so in the article, psychotherapist and grief expert Julia Samuel comments that having something to look forward to when you're scared helps you manage all of the uncertainties. That having something to look forward to helps lift your mood, both during those times and in the times in between. And I think, to an extent, all of us has found that to be true in some way. That as we live in that weird kind of in-between space, that as the world and circumstances and COVID continues to say no to us, it becomes increasingly difficult to say no to ourselves. We need something to look forward to. We've had so many things we've been looking to cancelled or moved, and often it can, yeah, it can feel like all we have to hold on to is something to look forward to. And whilst these things may help us in the moment and might make us feel better for a little while, it often feels like it's not enough, that it, the effect of it isn't very long-lasting. It seems to me that the only answer to not enough always seems to be just a little bit more until we kind of distract ourselves and avoid ourselves again into a life that looks no different to anybody else's. The path of least resistance. A life that does not look set apart, that does not look holy. And as I believe that many of us have found, is that a life that doesn't look uh, distinctive, a life that looks like everyone else's, isn't enough to get us through. It doesn't help us feel any less heartsick. We still feel that all is still not as it should be. The author and former uh, pastor John Mark Comer put it like this. He said, the soil of secularism does not provide the nutrients required to persevere through something like a global pandemic, social isolation, and social unrest. The things that we might rely on, the truths that we might believe, currently they're not enough to get us through. But, and it's a big but because it's Sunday, so I'm sure you've got to know there's good news ahead, that this is not the end of the story because as receivers of grace, as those walking in the way of Jesus, I believe that what we can get from the scriptures and also kind of walking in the tradition of people who have been following Jesus for a long time, what we can get is this, uh, we can learn that sometimes maybe um, hardship might not be something to be avoided, but maybe it's something to be endured and not even just endured, but embraced. Maybe embracing Hardship is, a path, is part of the path of following Jesus faithfully as a way into hope and to witness, but not away from it. As a community, we've been using the letter of 1 Peter as a framework to look at this idea of hope and our identity and what it means for us as followers of Jesus, how it shapes who we are. But as well as hope, the other key kind of thematic strand in this letter is hardship, it's suffering. The group of Jesus followers that Peter was writing to were no strangers to suffering and hardship. They were also experiencing a sort of social stigma that often comes, in the, uh, comes out of living in a way that is countercultural, that comes from living in a way that points to Jesus as the way, the truth in life, in the uh, kind of cultural context of you do you. As Peter put it, they were sort of exiles, aliens even. Peter is writing this letter to encourage these exiles, these aliens, and to spur them on. And so if we think about these themes of hardship and hope, when we look at this passage that we read earlier, we can see that, Peter, that when Peter is calling the original hearers of this letter to be ready, or in some translations it says to be prepared, to have an answer for the hope that is within them, rather than encouraging them to sort of, you know, dust off their, you know, big books of apologetics or 
kind of follow an apologist on Instagram, which would be more my speed. He is a rather encouraging them to do two things, I think. One is to be a people that carry the hope of Christ in their hearts, even in the midst of hardship and slander and opposition. And two, to be a people that bear holy witness about this hope to those who don't yet have it by the way that they respond and the way that they live. So one, carry hope in their hearts, and two, to bear holy witness about it. This, like most things in life, is a lot easier said than done. In fact, the author Ronald Rollheiser describes this kind of discontention as a struggle. He describes it like this. The struggle to live in, a torn, in torn, divided, and highly polarized communities as wounded persons ourselves and carry that tension without resentment and without giving it back in kind. The struggle inside our own wounded selves to be healers and peacemakers rather than to contribute to the tension. This is what Peter is calling them to and ultimately what I believe that God is calling us to, to live and to walk in hope. A hope that not only forms us into a people of hope, but it forms us into a people that are ready to bear witness. A people who live in a way that invites questions to which the only answer is Jesus. So the question for us today is how? Like, how do we do that? What does it look like? How does it look like to be a people of hope and to carry that hope within us? Well, I want to suggest two ways from what we can see in this passage, the main th- and the, also the main thrust of Peter's letter. We become people of hope by enduring hardship, setting our eyes on Jesus and the coming good that he has for us. And we also become a people of witness, of holy witness, by living counterculturally in response to the hope that we have within us. And more importantly, in response to the one that our hope is in. But before we think about what it means to kind of carry this hope, I've said hope a lot today already, and I guess it's, you know, we should probably think about what do I mean by hope? What do we, what do we have? What, what do we think when we um, carry hope within us? What is this hope? Earlier in the chapter, um, Peter writes this. Praise be to God, the Father, and, the, and our... Uh, let me start again. <laughs> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even even though refined by fire, may result in praise, in glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Sorry, just give me a second. <sighs> this hope that is talked about in this passage, the, the word um, comes from the Greek word elpida, and this word is a bit more, it's kind of a lot more weightier than our English word for hope. This hope that is described here is not an optimism. Optimism is more of, of an attitude or like an outlook. The hope that is described here is an expectation of what is sure. It's an anticipation of what is certain. 
It's a trust in something or someone. You know, um, I used to work in a building that had a casting agency in it. So um, every now and again, they would have these casting weeks where they would be casting for a film. They'd have a kind of a little piece of A4 paper on the door with a fake film title, and we'd always kind of try to guess um, what that film might be. But anyway, so when it was casting week, every time I was, you know, climbing up the stairs on my way to work, I would just, you know, take my time as I went past the door, just, you know, open door, just walking really slowly past, just in the case. Because I always had this hope that one day, you know, I'd be walking past, and, you know, someone would be like, stop! You! And I'd be like, me! And they'd be like, that face, that walk, that charisma, it's got to be you. We wanted to cast John Boyega, but you, you're the one. And then, you know, I would walk into the room, I'd leave my kind of, my career as an architect behind and become a a famous actor, you know, with no skills, no training, um, no talent, really. Um, I'd become, I'd become an actor, and also just, you know, at the right level of fame, you know. Famous enough to be critically acclaimed, to be invited to things, but, you know, just not on the Shade Room or TMZ or The Sun or whatever. Just the, just the you know, the, the sweet spot. Does anyone have hopes like that? Does it? You just, just me then? Okay. You see, hope is not something that we wish to happen that may or may not happen. And I know that some of you guys are thinking, well, for you, that will never happen. But, you know, I'm just being silly. I think the truth is that many of us are longing for things that are way more heavier than that, that are way more weightier than that. And it's hard knowing that these things may or may not happen. We might not fall in love with someone. We might not have the career we want. We might not do the good work that we want to do. We might not become the person that we long to be. We might not know our bodies or even our minds healed on this side of eternity. And it's really painful. It can really hurt. And I just kind of want to acknowledge that as well. I don't say it lightly. And so when I say that, you know, that hope isn't wishful thinking or um, kind of a longing based on just on like internal desires alone, I don't want you to think that these aren't things that God cares about, that these things don't matter to God, or that he sent it to you, or that it was part of his plan for your life, or that you're not right to grieve it or to be upset about it or to be hurt about it, to be angry. I think in the wider church community, this is sometimes something that we've not always um, got right. We've not always met, uh, dealt with unmet longings very well. It kind of, sometimes it feels a bit like this. Should something should come on the screen. Yeah, it feels a little bit like that. You know, I, I know sometimes, at least for myself, I've definitely sent someone a Bible verse thinking that it would solve things. Apologies as well if you're someone that's received that from me. Um, you know, sent them a Bible verse thinking, okay, well, that, you know, that will encourage them, that will solve it, rather than walking with people through their unmet longings and you know as a community I think that's not something we always get right but it's something that we long to do and ultimately I believe that the kind of the desire behind all of the desires a longing behind all other longings can be truly met in Jesus and that maybe maybe there's an opportunity presented in the middle of our longing my goal is that as a community what we can experience from Scripture and from these words in 1 Peter that we've just read, and also, again, like I said, the tradition of those who have walked before us in faith, in long obedience with Jesus and God, is a widening of our perspective. This isn't a sort of disassociation with reality, but a widening of it. So we exist in a reality that's wide enough to hold both our longings, both our suffering, and our hope. 
a reality where there's space for longings that might not be met on this side of eternity and also a certainty of the good that is to come. I hope that is what we call the good news, that we were created in love, for love, and relationship, and worship, that God himself has come to bridge the gap between man and God, that his kingdom, his reign, his touch on all things here is already here in part, and one day will be here in full. That whilst we still experience that heartsick feeling today, that feeling that all still is not as it should be, that one day we will experience all as it should be, that we will know heart sickness no more, that we will witness every sadness become untrue, as C.S. Lewis once wrote. We will receive that which will never perish or fade. We will receive something that the likes of that awful year that shall not be named can never take away from us. We will know salvation. That's what the verse says. You know, um, salvation, the root word of uh, salvation is actually salve. It's like uh, healing, like a balm or a healing ointment. You know, and one day we will experience that kind of healing balm to our souls and to our bodies and to our minds as we are restored and renewed, we are made new. All that is good and beautiful and true in this world will be at the forefront and at the center as it reflects God's glory and his love for us. Some of the other things that scripture tells us that we can look forward to is this. Creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Our bodies will be made new. We will shine. Every reason we have to fear will be gone as we are made perfect in love. We will dwell with God and his presence intimately. The old order will pass away and the new order will be ushered in. God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, crying or pain. Everything will be made new. This is the hope that we are to carry within us. The living hope that we have been born into. The hope that we are uh, to be prepared to share about, to bear witness to, to have an answer for. Now I know what some of you are thinking, you know, probably thinking, well that sounds great, there's good ahead, fine, fantastic, but what good is that now? How does that help me now? What comfort does that offer? Well, I believe that this kind of, this hope that we have isn't just for a faraway day, but it's for us now. We can experience that now. That verse in uh, 1 Peter says that we are receiving, not that we um, will receive. We are already receiving the end result of our faith. We are already receiving that uh, healing and restoration. We can partner with God in that restoration and renewal work now. We can know inexpressible um, joy and glory now. Well, the question is, you know, how, how does this happen? And I think the clue for us is actually in that same sentence as we read earlier. So it said, do you, not, you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do, not, you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, this isn't about denial it's not about blind faith in that way, in that sense. It's about seeing, about really seeing. Um, I heard a journalist called Van Jones on a podcast. He was talking about prison reform and um, structural racism. And he said something that really, it kind of really stuck with me. It's really stayed with me. And he said, sometimes seeing is believing and sometimes you need to believe to see. And often when Jesus would reveal something of the kingdom of God, he would say that the kingdom of God is at hand, i.e. it's within reach, it's in front of us. And I think many of us have trouble believing and seeing what is in front of us, the coming good that God has for us. You know, my mum used to uh, say this thing to me when 
I would be looking for something, and I'd ask her to help me, you know, because, you know, I'm her son and she's my mom, so, um, you know, I should be able to ask. Um, and she would do this thing where, you know, she would see what, was, like, what I was looking for was right in front of me, and she would just kind of, like, really looking at me, walk over slowly. She would grab it, point it towards me, and then she would give it to me, and she would say, eyes but no eyes, and just leave the room, which is an insight into Ghanaian parenting for you. But Jesus himself warned against, you know, having eyes but no eyes, against having the sort of calloused, um, hardened hearts that stopped us from seeing the good that he has for us. He warned against people that would see but not really see. And I think it's something that's worth thinking about, worth reflecting on. How are we doing in this? Can we see who Jesus is and the good that is coming? Can we imagine it? Or as hardship and suffering began to harden our hearts, began to stop us from being able to see the good that God has. When we set our minds on Jesus and who he is, we can start to see the future glory that is coming. We can have strength for today. And I think that's what it means to carry hope within us, to be carriers of this hope. That this is the hope that we can have for the future that can fill us with an inexpressible joy today. I know that I want a bit of that, you know, do you? Yeah, why wouldn't you? Come on, guys. I do. I really like the way that John Mark Comer um, puts it again. He, said, he puts it like this. We think of hope as being about the future, and it is, but it's also for the present. I define hope as the expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. Hope is a kind of emotional energy to live well in the present, in light of what's coming in the future. So to live well in the present in light of what's coming in the future. It makes me think that when Peter says that the readers of this letter should be, or the hearers of this letter should be ready with an answer for the hope that they carry within them, he is assuming that they are living in a way that invites the question. Why are they like that? You know, why, why do they seem to have this hope within them? What's different about them? And I think it's because they had a sense of that emotional energy to live well in the present based on the future good that was coming. They lived in the light of the future uh, that Jesus was going to bring about. You know, Jesus himself actually, he set the perfect example of this. He set a really beautiful example of this, of how hopeful tomorrow helps us to endure today. Listen to these words in Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We contemplate that even Jesus suffered. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. He knew what it was like to suffer. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. He was able to look ahead with joy and anticipation at what is to come. And we get to experience some of the same. You can bet that there's something worth looking forward to. Now, the call of Peter in this passage for today is to live with hope, but... 
I think more so, I think the crux of really what he's trying to get to, just on that kind of little path, that little bit about being ready, is that how we live on the inside, so carrying hope within us, should affect how we live on the outside, how we witness, how we bear witness to the hope that we have. It should change the way we live. It should change the way we respond to what comes our way, how we respond to opposition, to hardship, to slander. When Peter encourages the reader to be ready to share the reason for their hope with gentleness and respect, I think it's because it speaks to the one who their hope is in. It bears witness to the hope giver. They are to conduct themselves in a way that is different, that is set apart. When others in the culture are kind of expected to respond with defensiveness and deflection and to pull back, they are to lean in with gentleness and respect. As I said earlier, their hardship wasn't meant to be a way, um, a way out of hope and witness, but a way into it. I'm going to um, tell you two stories. I've asked if I could, uh, t- could say this. And um, one is a story from my week, and I'm going to tell you another story from someone, about someone else. Now, a friend of mine um, was racially abused in Stratford. And when I, when I heard about it, I wonder if anyone would like to guess what my, sort of, my first initial response was. You're right. I offered to go there and pray for them. No, that's not what happened. That is not what happened. I texted said friend and was like, clearly the Lord's will for me today is to fight. The Lord wants me to take a half day off work, to get on the bus to Stratford and fight somebody because, you know, this person was bang out of line. To my shame, my first reaction was nothing to do with responding with gentleness or anything like that. My first reaction was, someone needs to pay, and God put me in the place to make them pay, right? You know, when you're angry, you have a way of twisting scripture to kind of fit your own, fit your own desires. But I was like, God's called me to fight today. Here, okay, here I am. He hadn't, just FYI, okay, just so that we're on this, the same place. Now, I want to tell you the story about someone else's story who was his, whose response was a little different to mine. This guy called Trey Giles, I was listening to him on a podcast, he's an alpha um, coordinator. Just to set the scene, he's uh, telling this story about um, when he was organising a protest. So this is uh, pre-George Floyd, pre-Amord Aubrey, but it's, sort of, it's post-Ferguson, so it's not long after um, police, uh, police um, in Ferguson shot and killed Michael Brown. Trey is organizing this legal protest in Kansas to uh, kind of protest the structural racism in that city, or that state rather, American, sorry, Um, and um, particularly on the university campus. And although peaceful and faith-filled, before before anything has even kind of got off the ground, he's already met with opposition. He gets called into the dean's office. The police are there. The campus police are there as well. He, um, they tell him that they've had loads of complaints and calls that uh, apparently he's uh, got together a group of black students and people of color, and they're going down to the Christmas tree lighting ceremony, and they're going to burn down the Christmas tree and burn down Christmas, basically, um, all of which obviously was not true. And he already found that people were beginning to, he was coming up against opposition, against things that weren't true, against slander. He continues with, the, with organizing this peaceful protest. And when it happens, there's this huge sort of police presence. Everyone turns up, the TV, news cameras are there. But as well as that, there are these loads of these trucks that kind of roll in. They're full of young people. Because people always think old people, no, They were full of young people, racially abusing them, calling them slurs, trying to scare them, intimidate them. After the end, the protest ends. 
And fast forward two years later, Trey moves back to Kansas and he's working as a youth pastor. He gets a message from some random young guy to go for a coffee, which he's used to because he's a youth pastor and if you work for church, all you do is go for coffee. So, you know, he was, he was like, okay, fine, don't know this. No, just know they work hard as well. They work hard as well. Um, so he was like, okay, fine, it'll be awkward, don't know this young man, but I'll go. Um, so they sat there for 15 minutes. The other person doesn't bring up the conversation. He's like, okay, why am I here? What are you going to say? What do you, you know, what, do you, what, what does this guy want? And then this guy just comes straight out with it. And he says, hey, man, I was, in, I was in one of the trucks a few years ago. But since then, I've watched how you've lived and walked in your faith. And I just want to let you know I was wrong, bro. I've had conversations with my family, with my friends, and I can't take it back. But I, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I find this a really interesting story. And, you know, just to say, I'm not, I'm not advocating for spiritual bypassing. You know, this kind of idea that just because God calls us to love that um, there shouldn't be accountability, true justice and reparation, of course. But what I am saying is that maybe this, this Trey guy is responding how Jesus would respond. He's found a hope that he's living with that is helping him to respond in that way with gentleness and respect in a way that has bore witness to God's kingdom in a way that's been attractive. Something I, sometimes I think it can be hard for us to remember that when it comes to sharing our faith or um, yeah, just living out of faith, sometimes I think it can be hard for us to remember that God isn't looking for people to come up with these really slick, clever um, answers, these kind of really, I don't know, short, quick and engaging gospel messages. So I don't know how they manage to be you know, quick and engaging, but some people manage it. He's rather, instead, he's looking for people of love to respond in love, to respond with gentleness and respect. One of the most powerful and groundbreaking countercultural ways we can live is to respond with gentleness and respect. It's one of the best ways to bear witness to the hope that we have. Uh, it should come on the screen. I was on Instagram and I saw this post by this, uh, this author called Rich Fiodas. He's um, the author of The Deeply Formed Life. And he quoted, he quotes this in response to this. He says, in the first two centuries of the church, it was not Christian worship that attracted outsiders. It was Christians who attracted them. And outsiders found, their, found the Christians attractive because of their Christian habitus, i.e. their formation, who Jesus was forming them into, which catechesis, which is kind of like um, instructions or principles, and their worship had formed. The best witness we have as the church is not our programs, but our transformed lives. The best witness we have as the church is not our program, but our transformed lives. You see the connection here. Their, tra- their transformed lives bore witness to the hope giver, to the one that they were worshipping. And it was attractive. People saw that and wanted some of it for themselves. Like the young man in Trey's story, saw it from afar and he was like, hey, I need to get in contact with this guy. He was drawn to it. The thing is, living in this way, it's often not easy, it's hard, it comes at a cost. I'm sure it came at a cost for Trey. If you notice the verse says, it's better to suffer for doing good, not that if you do good, you won't suffer. It's all intertwined. Hardship, suffering, hope. I think that one of my kind of deepest prayers for us as a community is that we will continue to grow in faith, but also to be a people that are ready to respond with love, with gentleness, with respect. 
a people that are ready to face the next hardship that comes because we, we carry a hope within us, that future good is coming, that there's something ahead of us, that Jesus has gone before us. My deep kind of conviction is that many of us long to respond to, like Jesus, to bear holy witness. Jesus, again, he set, the beautiful, he set the most beautiful example of this. And as I kind of begin to close, maybe we'll just circle back to the passage. Maybe the band could come up. For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And we'll just go one verse further than we read before. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, to bring us to God, to bring me to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. That kind of actually reminded me a bit of what Nathan was sharing about earlier, this sense that even on the outside, we can struggle, we can, um, we can, we can suffer. But there's a paradigm where we can know uh, spiritual flourishing on the inside as well. We can have a hope that knowing that God is, at clo- that God is close, that he is at hand, we can have hope knowing that, that um, even what might come our way seems like kind of big and hard to face, that God is with us, he is present. I long to live in a way that embraces what is to come rather than fears what's to come. And I don't know about you. I want a bit of that hope. I want to be able to say of myself that, you know, I'm not afraid of what comes because I know I have hope in the hope giver. I have hope in the coming good that is for us. Just to close, I'm going to um, pray the words of Romans chapter 15, verse 13 over us. Maybe you'd like to stand as I pray. Hear the words of Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we come to you with our unmet longings with our desires, with our fears, with our worries about the future. We pray that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit and that we would be a people that overflow with your hope. Father, would you fill us with a hope that gives us strength for today? that as we look ahead and we see you close by, that you are with us. That we would live with a strength that, that others look at and question. Why is that person like that? God, we long for it to be true of ourselves. We come to you, the hope giver. Be with us, we pray. Bless us, we pray. Inspire us to live in a way that is countercultural. In a way that where we face opposition, 
We are a people that are able to respond with gentleness and respect, not to please man or to look good or to be self-righteous, but in an effort to follow you faithfully and to know the blessing that comes on the other side of that. For those of us lacking hope right now, God, fill us with hope afresh, we pray. For those of us who feel that there is no good ahead of us, that nothing good can come, I pray, Father, that you would fill us with a sure certainty of the good that is coming in you. Father, as we look forward to the day where there will be no more pain or mourning or tears, where all will be made anew, where every sad thing will come untrue, would you fill us with faith to live today? May we know a taste of that inexpressible and glorious joy today, Father. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Be with us, we pray. Drench us in your hope and love for you, we pray. Amen.